we read First Peter chapter one, starting in verse eight, starting in verse eighteen. Hear the word of the Lord. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those of you who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this precious word you have given to us in your scriptures. And now as we prepare to hear your word preached through your servant Enoch, we pray your anointing and your blessing upon him. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for Enoch and for his wife Joan and their heart to serve you and the people of Trinity. We pray for a special measure of your spirit to fill Enoch now as he prepares to teach us the glorious and wonderful things of the gospel. May we have open ears, minds, and hearts to hear all you have to say through him this morning. May you receive all glory, honor, and praise. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Do you have a bulletin? You know there's an empty page in the back? You need to just get out your pencil this morning. Uh, I'm a strong believer that you know you need to go away with something this morning that you can share with somebody else. And that's, that's my goal this morning, that uh, for you, you know, we're, we're talking to the cream of the crop here this morning, 
the, the other people are out there. They need this word, but they're not here this morning. So you got the opportunity to take something this morning and you can share it with somebody else during this week. And that's uh, kind of where I'm going. It looks like a lot here, but there isn't. Uh, and I have lots of notes, and it just keep me so you won't burn your roast today. And uh, we'll be short enough this morning. But I want to talk about the gospel, the good news that changes everything. Uh, we're going to look at uh, what the gospel is this morning, and then we're going to look at the, the good news. So let's, uh, let's take the next picture. Uh, I asked three questions on this little sheet of paper or on this picture that's behind me. I, I say, how many worship services have you experienced? So you can start adding up. Some of you can add up your, your heralds. You can start adding up your years and count them by three or four. And, and you begin to add out. And Fred and some of these people can do. Some of you people maybe not have that many. Uh, I said, how many sermons have you heard? And then I said, what, what has been the most or the greatest worship experience you've ever had? Can you think of one? You know, I, I look at my own life and I said, you know, I think I can point back to a number of them, but probably the most precious service that we ever had in our church as a child was New Year's Eve. You know why it was precious? Because it was a house cleaning time. We come to the end of the year, and and I remember my dad used to preach, and we we, you know, and but he never let left us alone. Before he was done, we were all on our knees. We were on the altar, we were down here, and and we get up and 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 before we were done, you know, some people would go over there and get right with that person. Another person would go over there and get right with that person. It was a house cleaning. We cleaned our hearts, and we were going to start a new year. It was always, and you could count on it. You went to that service expecting God's going to do something in your life. And he did. He cleaned house. It was just precious. Uh, and there's some things I miss as I gotten older. You know, we don't do this anymore as much as we used to do. Uh, the altars are full of young people. Bless you this morning. Uh, it needs to be sometimes full of us on our knees before God and say, God, I want to make some changes in my life. And that's kind of where I'm going this morning. Um, what is your history? What is, what is your history uh, of celebrating the gospel? You know, uh, we've just come through a book of Romans, which has absolutely been incredible. Gary's done marvelously in explaining to us the gospel out of the book of Romans. We had a glorious day here on Easter. And we had a wonderful time on Friday, which some of you missed, but it was just a precious time that we got together the gospel was not only preached, but it was laid out before us through his word. It was a great time. And I said, the gospel has become my life. Uh, I said, I say with Paul, and this has become a very important verse for me. I said, not that I have already obtained or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own to make the gospel my own because Christ has made me his own. you got to grab that this morning. I'm making the gospel my own. And, and, and that's the question that we're going to ask us 
continuously this morning, have we made the gospel our own? Is it ours? And if it has become so real to us this morning, you will leave here a different person. I, I'm, I know that for, for a fact. I want to tell you my story, and I have to tell you my story this morning because that's where I'm at. Enoch's a storyteller. But I, I grew up in, a, in the parsonage. My dad was a pastor, so you never went to church. And my mother punished me. She said, you're not going to church this week. And, and you'd think that's crazy, but, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd shape up. Because I didn't want to miss my friends. I didn't want to miss my people. I didn't want to, I wanted to be there with, with my people. And I sat there through service after service and I heard the gospel so many times. Uh, but it wasn't until one of those services, it was the third pew on this side. Sitting where, and I was sitting there with all the young people like they sit here this morning, bless you kids, uh, sitting there. And, uh, we had a man by the name of T.J. Bach he was preaching, old missionary. And he made a statement. He said, you know, there's, never, there's not going to be any grandchildren in heaven. Well, you know, I, I just kind of leaned over to my friend. And I said, I think he's crazy. The man heard me. I, I mean, because he, he didn't stand here. He walked around the, in the aisles and he heard me. And he said, young man... Do you have any re- know why there's not going to be grandchildren in heaven? And I was, of course, I got embarrassed and all a little bit. I'm the preacher's kid. I should know everything, you know. Uh, and then he told me, he says, until you have, have come to a personal experience where you have become his child, you're never going to make it. He says, grandchildren is because your parents were saved. You see? And I began to think about that. For, and, and, and of course it hit me really hard and then he got really pointed he said young man have you ever accepted Jesus well you know I started to cry you know what else can you do uh, I just the, the Lord was working in my heart he came down and took me by the hand he brought me to the front pew uh, you know two three hundred people sitting in the audience and he led me to Christ that morning sitting in the pew during the morning worship service he gets up puts his arm around me and he says I wonder if there's any others of you this morning. You're only a grandchild. You're not a child of God. You need to come to Jesus this morning. And that morning, there was 12. 12 kids. Nine of those kids went in the ministry. The presence of the Lord was so present. It was so powerful that morning. That morning was one of the most precious services in my life. But that's where... I experienced the Christ as my own. And that was during one of my long, many worship services that I went to. After that, I, at 17, I, I sat in the back row at a camp meeting, an old-fashioned camp meeting. The mosquitoes were so bad, it was a tent. It was just driving me nuts. And I, I knew people were going to go forward, but I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm just not going to do this. And when that invitation came, I went forward that, that night. And I said, Lord, you know what? I, I, I've been born again, but I'm not really where I should be. That, that evening, that, in that campfire meeting, I told God I'd go any place to do anything. And he sent me off to, to, to college and the seminary. Now, you've got to understand this. That Enoch's a dyslexic. Not only is he dyslexic, but he has a hearing uh, 
handicapped that I don't hear consonants. Spelling is absolutely out of my, my ballpark. I, the poor computer can't even recognize what I'm trying to say, spell. Phonics is, n is not even in my, my, my process. Going to college, seminary, I had teachers tell me, you know, why don't you just let that go by? But, you know, I, I learned to battle it out, and I learned that God is very gracious. And kids, I encourage you this morning, God can do anything. We sang about that this morning. But God can do anything. He can change your life. He can take your weakness. He can make it strong. And I just thank God. I looked at back and I said, listen, kids, I've got two or three degrees, degrees. I don't know how I ever got them, but I know one thing, that God was very gracious to me. And the precious word became very important to me. After I graduated, I, I pastored for 12 years in two, two free churches, evangelical. And I didn't tell you, my father was an evangelical free church pastor for 50 years. But I pastored, and then I got called to Spring Hill Camps. And at Spring Hill Camps, uh, we decided we would make something that would reach out to kids, people. And if you know anything about Spring Hill Camps, Spring Hill Camps grew from absolutely nothing to one of the largest camps in the nation. And what God did out of that was absolutely incredible. And I look back at that, and I still celebrate that. And, I, and, and in the process of that, uh, God has allowed me to start churches. And I, and I said, you know, why do I do that? Because the gospel has become a part of my life. It has to be made known. It has to be brought out. We had two friends that came from Everett yesterday or day before, and they stopped at our house. And, and I said, how's things going in Everett? And they said, Enoch, you'd be, so, you'd be excited. He said, we had way over 300 on Sunday. We remember met in my house, and then we you know, went to the old post office, and then we, we bought a, a big grocery store in town. Everybody says, Enoch's crazy. You know, why would he ever buy that stupid old dirty store? We made it into one of the nicest churches you ever saw. 300, over 300 Sunday. You know, what does that do? You know, he said, oh God, you were so faithful. You were good. And the gospel is going out. That's kind of my story this morning. I, I came to Ludington six years ago, and I'm here, and I'm just, thank God brought me here. So I asked the question, what is this gospel? What is this gospel that, that, that really takes a whole, whole of our lives? And I said, three, three things here. I said, it's good news, first of all. And what do you do with good news? What are you supposed to do with good news? You've got to tell somebody, don't you? I mean, you, you can't, I mean, if, if it's, even if it's not true, you're still going to tell it, because that's, that's what we are, we're that kind of people. I said, the gospel is good news that something great has been done for us. Just think, something great has been done for us. And we're going to look at see what that greatness is this morning. Secondly, the gospel is good news that we, we've got to respond to it. If we don't respond to it, the greatness doesn't impact our life. Thirdly, the gospel is good news that needs to be uh, publicly announced. You know, what do you do with it? You don't, you don't debate the gospel. You declare the gospel. The good news is you, you have to, to, to declare it, and that becomes very important. Now, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Uh, if you've got two envelopes, one said bad news, and the other says good news, which one would you open first? Which one would you get kids open first? You'd open the good news, huh? What, what would you open first? 
you know, I don't know, I, 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 I did a trial on this, you know, and I got about 20 to 1 said that they would open the bad news first. Because they were hoping the good news would counteract the bad news, you know. They want to get the bad news out of the way, you know. Well, you know, in the gospel, you, you've got both good and bad news, you know. And, and the, the, the neat thing about it is, is, the, is the bad news is, is, is absolutely the worst you could ever get. But the good news is better than the bad news, by far, because it does something. It takes care of the bad news. But the question then, how do we respond to that? See, and I'm convinced this morning that you can't respond to the good news until you understand how bad the bad news really is. Do you you get that? You've got to take a grip of how bad bad news is and and what what, what God has really done for us. Okay, uh, what do you see in these pictures this morning? What 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 is it? What is it? What does it tell you? You got to talk loud. Come on. <laughs> I'm still eighty percent deaf. That's okay. Joy. Why is there joy? You think? Yeah. You, you look at their expression. Every mouth is open, right? Every single mouth is open. I started going online, I picked up all these pictures, I said, my goodness sakes alive. When people celebrate, they open their mouth. You know what I said? <laughs> Just think about that. If you celebrate, you need to open your mouth. I mean, that's one of the thoughts I want to... Because good news will cause you to do that. If you get to understand how bad the bad news is and how good the good news is, you can't keep your mouth shut. Because you've got something you've got to tell people. you just got to proclaim it. You've got to tell it. And that, that becomes really important. When I was a kid, uh, I, uh, one day I got a phone call because I was a paper boy. And they said, Enoch, get down to the office immediately. You've got to get down here. So I went down to the office they gave me this big bag of papers and said, hit the street. The war was over. It was a celebration. I took those extras and I went down through the street and I said, extra, extra, read all about it. I was collecting money. Then people didn't even know how much they were going to give me. They just, give me a paper, you know, give me a paper. I'd go back and grab another bunch and pretty soon... I, I went back about 20 times to get another batch of papers because everybody wanted to read about the good news. It was so exciting. Give me the next picture. How many thousands of people? Our street in Bay City was so full of people you couldn't move. It was so full of people you couldn't move. And everywhere it was going, they were celebrating, they were dancing, they were kissing, they were doing everything under the sun. I said, these people are crazy, you know? And, and, and this good news was dealing with the fact that the war was over, you know. And I thought this week, I said, you know, my goodness sake, that is nothing compared to the good news that, that we've got out of this book. There's nothing compared to this good news in this book. Because that's a, a strictly a temporal thing. What we're dealing with is eternal good news. And that good news is... is, So, um, 
Let's hit the next one. What is this gospel and what isn't it? Uh, and I wanted to, to say, you know, sometimes we, we say, okay, what is this good news? So let's like, take a look and see what it isn't. I said, first of all, it's not good advice. You know, we like to give good advice. This is not good advice. People don't want to have good advice, but they want good news. This is not that. It's not everything the Bible teaches. And I said, it's not a code of ethics to be debated. It's not a way of life, something that we've got to do. Because we think, oh, I've got to do something out of that. It's probably more of a response than, than something we're going to do. It's not a list of truths that needs to be admired or pondered and say, isn't that good? You know, that is so good. It's more than that. It's beyond that. It's not a list. It's not a systematic theology to be outlined and, and made out. And it's not a divine rehabilitation plan for the world. But it is a cause. It is a cause that changes everything in our life. At least it should change everything in our life. Once that gospel takes a hold, you cannot be the same. I cannot be the same. Things have got to be changed. So uh, I want to talk about four narratives of the Bible this morning. And these are the four things on your bulletin because I believe these four narratives is the critical thing. If you're going to go out and witness to somebody, these are the four areas that you've got to follow. Now, we used to call four spiritual laws. These are different than that. But these are four areas, and I call them narratives. Uh, Keller, in his book, he calls them chapters. Uh, some people call them basic truths. At Spring Hill, we call them four key days. We took each one of these four areas and Monday we dealt with one, Tuesday we dealt with another, Wednesday we dealt with another, Thursday we dealt with another, and the last one we celebrated. And it was just, just, it was just cool. That's the way it was. And, and, and what are these four areas? And I want to just talk about them this morning. Because, and I said, the first one, and they answer four questions, basically. I said, the first one, who is God? And where did we come from? Where did you come from? You know, you've got to understand that. If you, if you don't understand who you are, if you don't understand who God is, you can't understand who you are. You don't know where you came from. You don't know where you're going. If you don't know where you're coming from or where you're going, you don't know who you are. Right? I hope so. Okay. So uh, where did we come from? And you, you have to understand a majestic God. We sang about this morning. You have to understand the God of this incredible creation. You understand that, that he has designed me in his image. I, I, I'm not quite there, you know. But he, and something happened, but we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, and, and then we, we, be, we can realize that for every attribute of God that you understand... You begin to see who, who you are. Do you know that? Just think about it. If you see his holiness, you say, oh, Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm so unholy. You know? If you see his justice, you say, oh, my goodness, Lord, I'm not very just. If you see his love, you say, wow, I'm a selfish, egotistic person. You know? Every attribute you see the glory of God, you'll see yourself. Almost the opposite. It gives us understanding a little bit. But when you begin to see the glory, you begin to understand who you are a little bit, too, in the process of that. So that's the first one. And, 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 and that brings about the necessity, because when you understand your sin, then you begin to understand your need of repentance. So that it begins a cycle that begins to... So, so people have got to know who God is. 
Because if you don't go back to Genesis, you, the rest of it doesn't make any sense. Now, day two, I said day two is, who is man? Who am I? And how did, why did things go wrong? Because we look at the world, we say, what chaos is in this world? Nobody doubts that. You know, you can look at the news, the newspaper, it is just massive. What went wrong? People want to know what went wrong. Why? They're asking the question, why all this mess? And you have to go back and you have to talk about the fall. And you have to talk about sin. And you have to talk about the wages of all of sin. And the wages of that sin is death. And that separates us from God. And I said, all people are like grass. We heard it this morning. In all the glory of the flowers of the field, the grass withers and the flower falls away. Death is a reality. That's the bad news this morning. Because the wages of that sin is death. It's it's immeasurable. Do you understand that? We, I get email all the time. Would you pray for my uncle who's sick? Would you pray for my aunt who's who's dying? Would you pray? And you know, and, and I've become very conscious that there's not much that tells me. Would you pray for my uncle who needs Jesus? You know. Or pray for me because I'm going to witness to my uncle. We're so concerned with that. But we've got the answers this morning. The answers is beyond this death. There's so much more than that. So number three, uh, it brings us into who is Jesus and how can things be put right. Now, now day two, I want to go back there for a second. I'd go out, you know, we'd bring in 50, 60 100, 200, now we're bringing in a thousand counselors. A thousand counselors for this number. And I would teach those kids. Uh, come right off the co- co- campus. And we'd come to day two and say, we're going to talk about sin today. And everybody would kind of shrimp back and say, oh, Enoch, isn't sin a little bit heavy for these kids? I mean, I mean, which, how can you do this? I mean, we, I think we need to be positive. We know we tell them God loves them. I said, we're going to do that on Monday. And we're going to do it on Wednesday. But you don't need Wednesday. You don't need a Savior until you found your problem of sin on, tu- on Tuesdays, you see. And, and, and finally they would back down. And they say, okay, I guess we've got to talk about sin. And we've got to talk about hell. And you've got to talk about the whole process. It, it's there. It's history. It's, it's theology, it's what it is, it's truth, it's the gospel this morning that we're dealing with. And, and so that brings us, who is Jesus and how can things be put right? And, and you look at his mercy, and his mercy is incredible this morning. Because in his mercy and love, he, he makes a way possible, you see. And grace is when he takes that possibility and he offers that ability to you and I so we can experience that salvation. So in those two things, mercy and grace, we see his great incarnation, God becoming man. Jesus, God himself, going to the cross. God doing that for you and I. That's his love this morning. And then we see the atonement. That that death was for you and for me this morning. It was a substitute for us. That I don't have to experience that, and neither do you. And then you see the marvelous resurrection which we celebrated this week. And then you got his ascension. Uh, he becomes king and lord, you see. 
day four. Now, I say, well, who is the Holy Spirit? And how can I be put right? See, now, that's what's important, you know. Uh, I said, religion is kind of outside in, but the gospel transformed from the inside out. Most people are, are trying to be good. And this is the great enemy of the gospel, is that they are, I think there's something they can do so that God would ex- accept them and, and become a part of their life and come into their lives. It doesn't work. There's nothing. You can't even obey this morning enough. There's no way possible to do that. And so how does all this come into reality then this morning? I, I said, well, this whole thing is a free gift. God says, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to pay the penalty and I'm going to take your sin. And we just look at, at, at the whole cross and we say, oh, what a terrible thing he agonized through in his suffering. Oh, my goodness. But you know, there's nothing compared that he took your sin there. Your sin and my sin, he took it there. And, and I tell you, that was the most, this holy God took your sin and my sin. Every day when I, when I follow up, I, I say, oh, God, you just took that to, your, to the cross for me. And we continually put him to the cross. It's, it's, it's tough, but the Holy Spirit is the one that regenerates me. And, and he does that when I cast my, myself on his plan and his purpose. When he, I cast myself on him by faith and trust him and I accept him. And say, that death was for me, you see. Can you say that this morning? That death is for me. And I said, it's through faith. Grace alone, Christ alone. And when that happens, you know what? We sang about this morning. We are beautiful before God. We are his friends. When God looks at you and I after we've come and been regenerated and made new and given a new heart, do you realize how beautiful you look before God? Hey, all, the, all, the, all that stuff in your life, God doesn't see it anymore because he sees the blood of Christ. You are beautiful before God. It's an incredible thing. Believe it this morning. Trust it. Say, thank you, God. I can stand before. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. This, this is incredible. I'm declared not guilty. Free. Oh, my goodness. What are the results of all this? At Spring Hill, we've learned one thing, which has encouraged me incredibly, and I look at everything differently. One-third of the kids out of these four days would come to Jesus. So if you had 100 kids, how many would you have? How many? 30. Okay? If you had a a thousand kids, how many would come to Christ? That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Year after year. Year after year. Year after year. I, I say, what an incredible thing God is doing in changing the life of kids. It's precious. I want to tell you one story. There are so many of them. And, I, and, and, and I, I'm talking about, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take you later and my wife is going to shoot me for this, but that's okay. You're going to have to listen to me this morning. Your roast won't burn. I want—I got to tell you about Tammy in Stevensville. 
November the 4th, 15th, it was, I knew it was, it was opening day deer season. I sat in my office. I got a phone call from this mother. She said, I want to talk to the boss. I said, I'm the boss. And she said, and I said, well, how can I help you? She said, what did you do to my girl? I don't know. Tell me about it. She said, my girl, she was a, kicked out of two schools. She was a runaway. She's 13 years old. Uh, I didn't know what to do with her. We gave up on her. The neighbor collected enough money to send her to your camp. She came home. She's back in school. She's doing absolutely incredibly. She's totally different. She's changed. What did you do? I said, why do you want to know? She said, because I have three, four more others here at home. I got four more kids at home. I said, oh, good, good reason. Okay. So I, I said, where do you live? She says, Stevensville, Michigan. I said, you know, I'm going to Chicago. That's on the way, isn't it? Yeah. I said, I'll stop and see you tomorrow, okay? So I did. I stopped in that, pulled in that driveway. They were just tearing out all their carpet, but in the kitchen sat this family around this table. And I looked on the table, and there was our, our, our Bible study courses that we were sending Tammy. And I said, you've been working this stuff? Oh, yeah. And that day, as I sat there and went through the four things of the gospel, first, father said, that's what I want. He accepts Christ. Mother accepts Christ. The rest of the kids accept Christ. What, what are you doing there? I, I was so emotional. I couldn't even... I backed out of the driveway that I was crying so hard. I, I went right straight into the ditch. And they all had to come pull me out. They pushed me out. I, I got out down the road. I said, I just got to sit here a minute. You know, I finally get my bearings. I went down and found a pastor friend of mine. and said, you've got to go back and take care of these, these people. He went... So he took them in. The next year... The next year, I'm sitting here greeting all these kids as they come in. And here, here it comes this family. And they're just, you know, the face, their face is just one big glow. And they're so excited. And they, we, we're here, we're back, we're just so eager. And we had a little time, prayer huddle, you know. And we sat there and we just thanked God, you know, uh, what was going to And when we got down praying, we were surrounded by people. I said, who are these people? Oh, these are our friends. All right. What, tell me about them. They're in our Bible study at home. And, and, and he said, the Lord's doing good things. And I said, what's the Lord doing? Well, last week we accepted Christ as our Savior. Three weeks ago we accepted Christ as our Savior. And I looked at the third family and they said, we haven't accepted the Lord yet. We wanted to last week, but he wouldn't let us. I looked at them and I said, why would you let them? He said, they don't know enough yet. They don't understand it yet. They, got, they just started coming. They've got to understand what the gospel can do. I said, praise God. I said, don't wait too long. You know what he told me? He said, Enoch, don't worry about it. God understands. I said, okay. That's Tammy's life. That that is repeated over and over and over again. And I don't know what your story is this morning, but you know, we have our stories. Every one of us here this morning has your story. These are my stories, and I've shared stories of Tammy's life this morning. What is your story this morning? What is the gospel doing in your life? How did you come to faith? If I asked you and called you by name this morning and said, come, stand with me, tell these people. See, that's what the worship service is all about. It's celebrating giving great praise to God the Father who calls us, giving great praise 
to the Son who has redeemed us, giving great praise to the Holy Spirit who transforms us, you see. That's the gospel this morning. And if it isn't working, then we don't have anything to say. You've got to experience... So I ask, what is your story this morning? That's, that's, that's my final line this morning. What is your story? Now I'm going to take it to the last three things really quickly here, and then I'll let you go. Uh, uh, the gospel changes absolutely everything. And here they are. Uh, and the first one, the gospel produces exciting good news for a hopeless people. Are there hopeless people out there? Come on, are there? Do you know hopeless people? Are they your friends? The gospel's got something to say to these people. You know, that's critical. And, I, and, and the verse that I take out of that, out of our text this morning, all people are like grass and their glory is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news. It's the gospel that was preached to you. When the grass withers and the flowers die, what's left in your life? What's left? What's going to be left? Let's take the next. Yeah, I, let's skip that picture this morning. Let's take the second one. The gospel gives dying people a new heart and a new birth. A new heart. God does this. He does this. He says, "For you were born again, not a, a perishable seed, but imperishable. What? Through the living, and eternal Word of God." God gives us new life. We're born into his family. That's one of the great results of the gospel. It's what it does. There is no other way. Because Jesus said, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom. Got that? I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He also said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He said that. Peter says, and there is salvation in no one else among men. This is the only way. Born again. Not that you've got a lot of head knowledge this morning, but it's a new birth. He gives dying people a new heart. Number three, the gospel provides forgiveness and declares us who are condemned not guilty. You know how great that is? To be declared not guilty? Once you were people, but now you're not. You are, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had received mercy, hadn't received mercy, now you have received mercy. You have received forgiveness if the gospel has done so. Number four, the gospel creates a new kind of redeemed people. That's what we should be here this morning. You are a chosen people. That's God's work. A glorious priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. What did we sing this morning? He's my friend. I'm a friend of God. Maybe you, maybe you understand how important that is? I used to think that song was a little trite, you know, but all of a sudden the theology began to get a hold of me. I am not an enemy of God anymore. I'm a friend of God's. He's on my side. When I used to choose kids, you know, when we used to play basketball or football or anything else, you always look for the best, you know, because you wanted to win, but you always try. God's on my side. I cannot lose. He's my friend. Do you understand that? 
He's taking the impossible of this man and hooking it to the gloriousness of who God is. We can do anything. I used to say all the time, I can do the impossible. I can. By faith, I can do that. But God, I said, God, I will do the possible. He will do the impossible. But you know something? He won't do the impossible until you've done the possible. You need to take a step of faith. It's all through the whole scripture. You take a step of faith and God shows himself. And that's what he wants to do. Uh, Number five, the gospel provides a new acceptable relationship with him. And incredible because once you were not, but now you are. He restores this relationship with him. Number six, the gospel new birth creates a trusting believer who now obeys, and this is what the said, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for it. When does obedience come? I haven't got the ability to obey God, but when I become a new creation, you see, Jesus, he obeyed his Father in everything. Christ in me helps me obey everything the Father says. Oh, I stumble and fall, but that relationship has to be restored and made precious. Number seven, the gospel provides a whole new way of thinking, new values, new behavior. I used to tell every man, I tell myself, I say, the only way you're going to change a child is you've got to change his value system. We have to change the value system of this world. It is so corrupt and so terrible, but the only thing that does that is a new heart. It's inside out, not outside in. And when God does it, some... Great things happen. So he gives us a whole new set of, of, of values. And uh, we see things totally different than we ever saw them before. And what, you know what else happens to that? In this passage it says, the word of God becomes very, very, very important. This book. Very important. Eight. The gospel offers eternal life as a gift of his grace. We've been passed from death into life. Just think of that. And I said, this morning I'll ask you three questions. Either you are in Christ or you're not. Either you've been pardoned or you haven't. Either you have eternal life or you don't. There's no middle road. That's the way it is. And that only comes through the gospel and a new birth. The only way comes to what he's done. Nine, the gospel keeps us from stumbling and falling. And that comes out of the obedience. Number ten, number ten, the gospel changes everything. The gospel produces a passionate love for Jesus. Why? Why should I love Jesus? You know why? Because he first loved me. He first loved me. And that love, which he did at Calvary, you've got to get a grasp of that. Once we get a hold of that, you'll never be the same. I went to an old people's home once when I was in seminary because that was my work assignment, Christian work assignment. And I came into this little this, the, the place, and I start, you know, talking to the lady. And I want to encourage them. I tell this lady, and I said, uh, the, the Lord is really precious, isn't he? And she, huh? And I said, 
And I don't shout, look around. The Lord's really precious, isn't he? Huh? Well, then I thought, oh, how am I going to do this? So I, I said, the Lord is really precious, isn't he? She took me by the hand. She said, son, the Lord is precious to those who make him such. Incredible lesson. She taught me more that day than I taught her. If he's not precious to you, it's not his fault. He's done it all. It's your fault. Make him precious. And when he becomes precious, out of gratitude, you will be a different person. And so will I. And that takes us to what? Where are we at? Uh, 11. The gospel produces a godly, loving, serving community. You know, the church is God's idea. He says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, put this out there. It's his people. You look at the book of Acts. What an incredible power. That's what God wants for you and I this morning. He doesn't want it. This, this is not a spectator religion that we're having this morning. You got that? It is not a spectator religion. This is a religion. This is active. You are not supposed to just sit here and go and then we celebrate and thank God for what he's done. He says, get out there in the highway. Declare the good news. Whole new community. And I says the gospel creates an authentic worshiping community. Authentic worshiping community. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a community of God's people, to be holy, priesthood, offering spiritual fast sacrifice, acceptable. Two, two, two enemies here. I'm not going to talk about this more. And then the last thing. Thirteen. God produces a purpose for living. A community of people who proclaim the gospel to others. Do you know what our mission is, the church? What's your mission this morning? If I gave you a piece of paper, write your mission in life down there. Would you write it? What would it say? You see, in our, in our mission here, the elders have been working on this, is to help lost people find Jesus and follow him with abandonment. Oh, help lost people. When are we going to do this? When are we going to wake up to this? When is this going to become a part of our life? He said the gospel creates that kind of people this morning. That's what we need to be. We need to get out of these pews, you see, and get out there and let God do something in our hearts and in the lives of our friends this morning, wherever they are, which takes us to the last question. Who do you need to give the good news this morning? You got somebody? This week? And then the last one. What is your story this morning? What is your story? If you don't have a story this morning, I trust that the Lord has worked in your heart that you will find that story. That you can say, this is how I came to faith in Jesus. It's late, but we're going to sing anyway. Because I want to close with this song this morning. Because there is victory in Jesus.